Hello, and welcome to this month's episode of Fraud Talk. I'm Courtney Howell, Community Manager at the ACFE. Today, our guest is Lynn Cameron, Senior Director of the Financial Integrity Unit at Microsoft. We're very excited and honored to have Lynn on the show. Not only does she have a storied career as an investigator, but she's also recently been elected as one of the ACFE's 2020-2021 Board of Regents. Thank you for joining us today, Lynn. Thank you for having me. All right, well, we're just gonna jump right in. Uh, but before we go too deep into like the investigation side of things, I don't want to undersell the fact that you are a senior director at one of the largest corporations in the world. So how did you get to where you are today? You know, sometimes I have to pinch myself <laughs> when I realize where I am and where I came from. You know, like I grew up in a, a small town in Australia called Woi Woi, just outside of Sydney. Um, and going back many, many years, my first job was in, uh, I guess you could call it justice administration for a fancy name, but it's really, I was a court clerk and um, I, I saw that you know, the police officers, the law enforcement officers, were having way more fun than I was. So I, I joined the Australian Federal Police uh, and I worked there for nearly 14 years um, uh, as, a, as a detective for the most part. And I was really lucky that when I started, they'd started a new scheme where I was able to rotate through different areas within um, the AFP. And, and I had some great mentors, so I got some great experience, and they worked in fraud. And so that's where my initial career in law enforcement took me. Um, so I started specialising in fraud and corruption at a, at a pretty young age and spent so I spent 13 and a half years with them. I, I then went to um, London and uh, started working in the forensic practice at Anderson. I went over there for, for personal reasons, to be with my now husband, but um, that was a really great transition from law enforcement uh, to, towards corporate investigations. And it made, made you understand that things are not necessarily black and white. It's not necessarily statute driven. Um, you're trying to do the right thing for your client. Um, and you're having to adapt all the time to different uh, industries, um, different locations and countries serving your clients. So I got to work in, for the first time in many different countries and many different industries. So it's a really good bridging um, uh, role. After a while in consulting for me, I really wanted to then transition to working for one master, if you like. Um, I can't think of a better phrase than that. Um, but just to know that I, the work that I was doing was in, in alignment with the direction of the company. And sometimes that's not the case when you're consulting. So I joined Cisco Systems as their Europe, Middle East and Africa investigator. And a short time after that, I got invited to San Jose to start building and leading their global team. Uh, and so we started there, I think we were five or six when we started there, and uh, we built the team around the world, put in processes, uh, put in case management uh, solutions, which I think we'll talk more about. Mm -hmm. um, and I also took over the ethics program at Cisco as well, and that was a fabulous experience, making sure that we had the right resources for our employees when they were facing a choice and they had to make a decision. And that's what I feel a, an ethics program is about. Um, after uh, seven years or so with uh, Cisco, we moved back to, to the UK. I'm still managing the global team, uh, which is a bit tricky when they're based in the Pacific 
West Coast, um, and I saw an opportunity coming through the desk via LinkedIn to come to Microsoft. So over to Microsoft, um, I got to be back at corporate headquarters, seen a lot of changes there. Uh, again, building the team, building processes, building case management, watching a changing regulatory environment and a changing investigation landscape, and a very much a changing culture in the company. It's been it's been quite a trip. It's a long way from Woi Woi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd say I'm not in Kansas anymore, but I really actually want to be there this week because of the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's a happening place right now. <laughs> so what I noticed while you were talking about your journey was that you kind of had these pretty big pivots. You would move, you know, big company shift or kind of your role would change. And a lot of times our members are wondering, well, how do I get into a different field or how do I you know, change my career into this different area. What sort of advice do you have when people are considering those changes? I think people generally, especially in the investigation space, tend to label themselves and accept labels that they are an investigator, a thing, okay? They don't necessarily call out the competencies that you have and the skills that you have as an investigator. So as an invest, you know, people say, well, you're an investigator, you investigate. Well, no, I'm, I'm a project manager. I'm, I do data analysis. I do stakeholder engagement. You know, I do cross, cross-team collaboration. I deal with people. I bring out the best in people. You know, and so there's all of these, uh, are these competencies that we all have and that we demonstrate, but we don't, we're not real great at articulating when we're talking about ourselves. And so I think in terms of when people are thinking about how do you pivot, think about what energizes you and what are you, what are you strong at? Because if you do something that you're really strong at, you'll enjoy it, okay? But you can also then build on the next thing that you can be strong at. So it's, it's finding those uh, adjacencies um, and knowing your strengths, but also recognizing all of the things that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great advice. One thing that you mentioned was case management, and that's what we'll be focusing on a lot today. So I imagine at Microsoft you get a lot of cases across your desk. <laughs> um, and based off questions that we've gotten from our own members and our online community, a lot of people struggle with this aspect of investigation. So uh, how do you handle case management? I think I'll take it back a little first to, to fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And some people can get quite spun up about all the things that you need in case management. But to me, it's really quite simple. Um, you need to track the work that you do, and document it in a factual manner, and you need to have somewhere secure to, uh, to uh, store or gather the artifacts or evidence that you're gathering. They're the, essentially the basic two elements. Layer onto that, um, information that you may want as a manager or management about trends and you know the resourcing and things like that and that's when you start to get to the importance of the the data points that you capture if you have a case management solution but if we break it down to the basics case management is so when i come to somebody and say give me your case Mm -hmm. show me what you have done i can take it and read it and understand what has happened and how people got to conclusions or how they got to the the point that they got to. Um, I believe that any person, any third party, and that, you know, these days may well be a regulator, should be able to come in and understand what you did and why you did it and how you got to the conclusion that you got. And also um, 
sometimes have it clear that you didn't do something and why you didn't do it, you know, so that you can own the holes if need be. So that's the, the fundamentals. In terms of what do we do and how we do it, I mean, every everywhere is there's room for improvement and we're really trying to improve all the time. Um, you know, I won't, a shameful plug, we <laughs> use all of Microsoft products. Yes. Um, you know, so, so full disclosure <laughs> there. Um, we we use a, a uh, Office three sixty five product Dynamics a, a CRM solution, and within that I, I'm constantly iterating in in order to capture the, the things that I need to capture. But we're also uh, trying to uh, save the keystroke for one of the different automate as much as we can, uh, and and that's not automate the. The mental process it's to save you know un any unnecessary steps or administrative steps um, so you know, the, my team will uh, we'll, we'll have a case come in we will uh, capture data points about the type of case it is that we can then use uh, in analytics um, and then it will get assigned to an investigator and they will document in case notes the things that they do um, one of the things that we do too, we work with a lot of lawyers within the company and they work very much via email. And so we will, we have automated it so that when we're communicating with um, our attorneys, we can send those emails directly into our case notes and make them and, sh and save them as well. So that's an important time saving step. Um, We'll capture our interviews and our interview notes. So, so those the the data around the interview will be captured in the case management solution. The recording or the interview notes will be captured in the evidence repository, which is our case is a, a SharePoint um, solution connected to our our case management. What's really key too is um, trying to understand uh, the. Um, complexity of the case so that I can report out on things. We, we do have a, a case complexity measurement, all the things that makes it hard for the investigator to do the job. You know, do we have the language? How many subjects are there? How many issues are we looking at? How far back does it go? So all of those are, are punched in to give us an idea of how complex the case is. You know, to be honest, that's, that's work we've really got to keep moving on and take it to the next generation. Um, but then, you know, we then connect it to our Power BI solution and, and that, that's where uh, the data that you have within your case management solution becomes critical to management. What are the themes? How you're know, aggregating the data? What are the themes? Are there hot pockets? Are there hot topics? Are there new things? How are our resources being deployed? It, you know, is one area overburdened compared to another? And whatever you have a rich data source, you've got the ability to slice it and dice it. Um, in a way that helps you improve your practice, um, helps you manage your resources, helps you take the pressure off when there's too much pressure on somebody as well. And then finally, it allows you to do quality assurance review. Um, and so you know, I, I have a, a, a practice whereby one of the investigators will go in and through cases and make sure that you know everything is, that they said is there is there, you know, um, and we've got that, from that we're developing sort of best best practices about how we actually document like the content um, and so at the high level you know that's what I think is key to the case management but it's something that 
uh, we're continually iterating. Uh, I think in any uh, big organization, the ideal would be one case management solution for uh, the entire company, which includes the reporting or escalation avenues. So to be able to capture across the company emails, phone calls, helplines, and have them all go into a single case management solution, that is the ideal appreciate that in many many companies Microsoft included that may not be the case but that's what I would say would be the ideal and that way there's a single source of truth for the company mm -hmm. as well so to to smaller companies or you know individuals take it back to the basics it's all about documenting your activity and gathering your evidence and keeping it secure so. yeah that was kind of going to be my next areas you know as you mentioned there's a large variety of companies yep. out there who all have different needs yeah. and resources and things so for people who may be working with a smaller team or less resources mm. you know going back to basics would be key is there anything else you would yeah. think is a big difference between working for such a huge company and then a smaller one i think um well scale is the big difference but it, it, for even for a smaller team you've got to have business continuity too mm. Um, you've got to be able to, you know, if somebody goes out, how, you know, be it personal reasons, or, you know, or any any reason really, they walk out, they win the lottery. <laughs> um, the next next man up, next person up, has to step in and see what they've done and where, you know, where they've done it. If that's not well recorded in a, in a manner that you know the right people can access. Um, that's going to result in a couple of negative things. There'll be duplicative work done. Um, the people that are, you know, subject to investigations in the corporate space, this is the worst day of their life. Imagine having to relive it because somebody went off and won the lottery, you know. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, if you think of the employee experience there, um, making sure that we have the continuity and there's no delays, um, I think that's really important. So in, in the smaller teams, you know, it's really just the difference is scale and potentially tools, you know. Um, in, in, in establishing a case management system or approach, just I would uh, urge people just to think about what you know, what do you want to know about your team or your investigations? I hear many people talk about you know our cases are getting harder or they're getting bigger or whatever. A lot of that becomes it's anecdotal, and if it's anecdotal, it kind of doesn't count. You know, <laughs> um, if you can use the data to sh from your case management. Uh, solution to show how things have changed. There's your business case for additional resources, um, and you know to, to build the team, or alternatively, you know to identify the the themes and and the trends that the company needs to address. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, there's so many benefits to having you know good rich data associated with investigations. Yeah, mm. uh, that's kind of on my next topic you're just oh you're so I intuitive should not have read the questions beforehand. <laughs> no it's great um because i was going to ask about benchmarking and you know this is what you're talking about you need that information in order to know what's going on and being able to communicate that with your higher ups or whoever is going to be providing those resources for you so how how would someone go about starting to develop those or mm -hmm. yeah. what would that look like 
Yeah, so I think, um, firstly, I do a lot of benchmarking with um, the other members of the Corporate Alliance, mm-hmm. the ACFE mm-hmm. Corporate Alliance. So um, I get a lot of very rich uh, data points from them. The really cool thing is in the investigation space is that whilst people aren't willing to share the, the, the content or the subject of investigations, People in the compliance world are more than happy to talk about best practices and sharing best practices. So build the network, your network within the compliance space and you'll have you know, a rich universe of people to tap up on as far as benchmarking goes. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we did was bring in um, you know, uh, one of the big four firms to review the quality of our investigations practice. And they they measured our practice against a number of criteria, uh, basically as where we were on a sort of a maturity continuum. Mm-hmm. And um, I find, you know, that's really a healthy thing too. And that's something you can do yourselves, even in a small team. If you think about the elements of your investigation practice and what does really immature look like and what does aspirational look like and where are you and map that, and then what do I want to do to move it further along? I mean, that's that's something any small practice can do. It's just a matter of taking the time to break it down and think about how you want to move it. Um, but definitely, you know, community in the compliance space, absolutely you know, uh, critical to getting benchmarking data. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to do a hypothetical situation. So let's say you know, you've got your case management, it's swimming along just fine, everything's going great, but then something big comes in and just knocks you completely off course. Yep. How would you and your team adapt to something like yeah, that? It's, that's a really important point. My team is located all around the world. They're mm-hmm. in, you know, Redmond, Asia, Middle East, Europe. Uh, and in the most part, they're uh, ge- geography focused, okay? They focus on their regions but we're a global team and um, we prioritise things based on risk. So I have a central team that that has the intake and does sort of some preliminary steps um, and assessments. But if something big came in and uh, I deemed it to be the priority of the company, I'd work out which people in my team around the world are best suited for this particular investigation and the highest risk, highest priority gets the resources. Now that has a, that has a positive and a negative effect. Um, you know, you've really got to be very critical when you think about what, you know, what is high risk, high priority. Um, you know, sometimes the, the sky is falling for a lot of people. Something that might be urgent today, a couple of steps taken, then releases the pressure valve on it. And it can, you know, we can get back to business as, as usual. Um, but the flip side of that is, if everything new and shiny comes in as high risk and high priority, you've got cases that are real cases that have real impacts that are sitting there and not being dealt with. And the longer that they sit there, the worse it is for the employee experience, the bigger the risk for the company, and it then becomes a higher priority by virtue of how old it is. Aging is a real thing that you really have to focus on, and it's those run-of-the-mill things that don't get as much attention and you actually have to make a conscious effort to put attention to them. But we will deal with high risk as uh, as the number one priority and we'll put the right resources on it and we're constantly adjusting and tweaking. We also uh, you run a 
program, a process within our team working with the lawyers where we're, we're meeting very regularly and going through the dockets and working out, you know, what's sitting, what shouldn't be sitting, what's got some obstacles that we need to remove. So. Cool. Uh, so age would play a pretty big factor on deciding, you know, oh, this one, well, it's been here for a while now, so we need to move yeah, it up. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really... It's a really tricky thing to, to deal with because there's a, a lot of different elements. Of course, you want to, you know, if it's something big and major and high risk, you've got to go to that first. But, you know, every person who raises a concern or escalates an issue, you know, it, it, the company has to do something about it. We, we owe it to them. We want to have a speak-up culture. Any company would want to have a speak-up culture. And you are going to diminish that if you don't take action um, to to validate um, people's concerns, and that's and you know aging uh, is probably one of the things that we get the most criticism for. And you know, I can't, we can't go and explain to everyone. Well, we had this big case here <laughs> and, and things like that, but we have to really work hard at focusing on those things. So, so I I, I do some aging analysis on cases, and so that some those cases that and we've identified that the the ones that are just a little bit trickier than a, a quick hit, <laughs> um, but not not rising to a high risk matter. They're the ones that that tend to be put aside more readily. So we have to have a concerted effort. What can we do? And sometimes those are the cases that we will move around to somebody who has bandwidth, or somebody else who has as uh, one of the. We have all different skills in the team. Some people can get through things very, very quickly um, while still doing a professional job and, and not cutting corners um, <laughs> and are more suited to perhaps getting rid of some of those um, aged cases. When I say getting rid of them, doing the work so that the company can make an informed business decision mm -hmm. on the outcome. So. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so over the past few months or so, what sort of trends have you seen emerging in corporate investigations that you think others should be aware of? I think the the regulatory landscape is a key factor. It's constantly changing. I really couldn't even talk about it today because it's probably changed since <laughs> yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and also for us, we're a global team. And so uh, you know, we have to think about US regulators, European regulators, um, British regulators, uh, all around the world. and. And then on top of that, you've got the various employment laws, and of course, privacy has been a big issue as well. Um, and and I think in investigations, that's a really important factor to ensure that you're complying with the privacy laws and in knowing um, basically the the framework with within within which you can do your investigations, because that will vary country to country. Um, and then sometimes you'll have some competing. Uh, factors, conflicts of laws, if you like, um, and you know, making sure that you have the right people in place that are helping you make the decision, so that you, as an investigator, you know, don't cross the line or do something with the best intent that would be okay somewhere else, mm -hmm. but not okay in that jurisdiction. I think that's really um, very challenging to navigate. Yeah, I know. Just hearing you talk about, oh, you need to know laws here. You need to know laws here. What sort of other challenges might arise from teams that are spread out geographically? Yeah, that that is more about a pe people issue. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I've worked remote from from my headquarters, and in, in and in this world work, it's um, really isolating. You know, nobody wants to go and have 
lunch with the corporate <laughs> investigators, yeah. okay? Um, so it's isolating. It's also, it, by its nature, the work, even though you don't conduct, conduct yourself in this manner, it's kind of adversarial, you know, so you're always having to, to land. I need to see you, have a meeting with you. I need to interview you about this. That, that's pretty stressful for the employees and for the investigator. Um, and so trying to make them feel part of a team, building that connective tissue uh, within the team, within your bigger groups, very challenging um, and takes a lot of effort. You know, I have as I said, a team all around the world. So I have managers and then I have people within those teams. But you know, just from a personal perspective, I make sure that I have meetings with each one of my team members individually and in their time zone too. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'll take calls at five o'clock in the morning to speak to my team members in, in India or Dubai or, or something like that. And so, it, you know, making sure people are connecting with the virtual team members and even thinking about the taxonomy of it, you know, they're remote. Well, we're remote to them too, you mm -hmm. know, us and them, you know, onshore, offshore. Um, all of those are sort of like labelling terms and, and not conducive to one team. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's hard work. We're learning all the time and I've certainly made some mistakes over the years, but um, that's important. Then also uh, understanding the diversity of culture and background and approach. Um, the reason we have diverse teams is to bring, bring all of that to the team um, but to be inclusive you know you've got to have some empathy you've got to understand where people are coming from um, and you know you don't want everybody to be this you know carbon copy of yourself you want that difference but you also have to appreciate and understand that difference. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the most important traits for a manager to hone and develop because you're talking about oh I have to have conversations at five or I need to you know be a little, I need to understand differences, what sort of traits? Yeah, so um, gotta be good human, be a good human first. <laughs> we, we actually, good advice. <laughs> we actually have uh, at Microsoft uh, some manager values, I think, I'm not sure if I'm using the right language there, but in terms of you know, model, coach, and care. So model the behavior that you wanna, you want your team to, to do and see. And so that includes things like you know, shutting off, taking time to be with your family, um, not working 24 hours a day uh, and not responding to an email like that mm -hmm. because um, that's not the nature of them. Um, uh, so, so modelling behaviour, so, and that also means modelling inclusive behaviour. And so making sure that people see that you, um, you know, you're prepared to run a virtual meeting and make sure everybody's heard. That means that they're, they're, they feel then uh, safe to ensure that, well, if somebody, they feel someone was being talked over or wasn't heard, they can interject and so on. So, so encouraging that, that cohesive culture. Uh, coaching um, is really important. And not in terms of, um, the, it's, when we talk coaching, it's not so much in terms of let me show you how to do this. It's more in terms of 
uh, what are you thinking? How do you think you approach? What do you think would work with that approach? So asking questions so that the individual can get to the conclusions themselves so that they can go through the thought process. So it's it's coaching, not solutioning for people. And, and I think as managers, we have a tendency to say, well, sh here's how you do it mm -hmm. and, and, and do it by showing. Um, but we're finding that coaching and having people get to the way to do it is is a better approach but also they'll come at it from a different angle too you know so you may get something different and better than, than what you thought so <laughs> so that that's the coaching aspect and caring again going back to being um being good humans um you know i tell my team it is family first work last i really mean that and no matter what happens to them and their team their family i should say that that's where their priority is when you um when you're managing a, a team of individuals you've got to remember that that individual is just not a uh, i'm going to be a bit coarsey but they're not just a butt on the seat mm -hmm. you know they come with this complete package and that might be you know family at home it might be the fact that they're 500 miles away from their sick mother it there's all of these other things that make them who they are and as a manager you've got to be cognizant of that um, and if you sh if your team feels that you care about them they just bring in such a wonderful performance it's, mm -hmm. it's brilliant yeah well it's always fun to work for someone who cares about you <laughs> True. <laughs> okay so we just have time for one more question uh, what advice do you have for those who are interested in a career in corporate investigations mm -hmm. yes um, certainly build your network mm -hmm. for sure um, think about what you bring to the table there are a lot of people in the world wanting to get into corporate investigations who have been in law enforcement who um, you know have left the service armed services uh, even who've been in like the forensic groups um, and so there's a lot of competition as well so think about what you bring to the table I'd urge anyone um, in law enforcement to try and take a next step, a middle step before coming into corporate. Just, uh, you know, be it in the um, consulting space or something similar so that they can get that diversity of experience um, across you know, different industries and so on. Um, you know, do your studies, you know, get some, get some, get qualifications, but CFE or anything, but have some theoretical background. Um, you know, hone your common sense. <laughs> Very important. I think, you know, practicality is, is really important. And also your interpersonal skills, make sure, because, you know, we, we talk about fraud and fraud dissemination and um, financial investigations, but at the end of the day, this is all about people. And that's the key thing. It is people that go across all of it, be it who you interview, who you interact with, who you work for, who you work with. So that would be my advice. Lovely advice. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Pleasure. It's been so fun talking to you. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find all episodes of Fraud Talk at acfe.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Courtney Howell signing off.